Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, I got the one and only Keenan for a round two, the man, the gap seller himself. Nick, why should people listen? Armand, contrary to popular belief, I'm actually not a perfect seller 100% of the time. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. And today, Keenan and I workshopped a time that I kind of botched a discovery call. So this was a really good episode for me because I got to learn and like get some one-on-one coaching with Keenan and you all can learn from my mistakes. Three, two, one. Nick's not perfect, but I am. All right, Keenan, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Actionable takeaways. Oh my goodness. Where do we go with this? I think the very first one is ask problem-centric questions, not 
process questions or questions like a product focus question. So what does that mean? It means ask questions that are going to quickly get you to the place where you can diagnose their problem. It's asking questions that will steer the buyer to what is the reason they're on this call in the first place, whether they inbounded and said, hey, I'm interested in your software, your application, your product, or you outbounded them and got them to say, all right, I'll give you 30 minutes of my time. What you need to understand is if someone's on the call with you, whether inbound or outbound, and they're giving you 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, they're giving you something. So they believe that they have a problem big enough that they're willing to give you that time. That's money. That's They're paying you, basically, right? They're paying you. So you had better ask questions that find out why, get to the problem. Why? Why are they on this call? What problems are they struggling with? Okay. The second one then is fill out a pick chart. That's a gap selling thing, but it's all right. You'll learn it quick. Pick chart, problem identification chart. And basically the problem identification chart is made up of three things. It's made up of the problems that your product or service solves, the business problems, people, the business problems that your product or service solves. Secondly, what is the impact to an organization? If those problems exist, so then you write that down. So think three columns. First column is the problems that your product or service or company fixes. Next column, impact. If those problems exist in an organization, what is the impact to that organization? How does those problems manifest themselves? Then the last column, fill out the root causes. What creates those problems? Okay. When you do that, that then gives you a compass to ask problem-centric questions like I just told you before. You fill that out, you memorize that, that is going to be your talk track and your compass to having business dialogue as opposed to product dialogue, okay? And the last one, stop using ban. Just cut it out. Stop asking if they have budget. Stop asking if they're the authority. Stop asking what the need is. Stop asking when they're looking to get this done. You look like a clown, cut it out. So I want to run a scenario by you. I recently started a new job and I had like one of my first discovery calls with somebody. I outbounded this uh, pretty big law firm that I, like our whole company's been trying to get into. And I went right to the CEO. I was calling the CEO. I was calling the CEO. And he actually replied to one of, my, one of my emails. We had a decent dialogue back and forth. And he said, hey, Nick, this sounds kind of interesting. I'm going to connect you with one of our finance managers and he CC'd the guy and he said, hey, finance manager, Armand, take a call with Nick. Maybe he can help with the problem you and I talked about the other day. So I get on the Zoom. I've got my big smile. I did all of my research. We build a little rapport for, I don't know, 90 seconds. And then I've always been taught to start the discovery call with, well, hey, you know, I've got certain things I want to learn from you today, but you're the customer. And so you probably have stuff you want to get out of this call. What would you like to accomplish today? And the guy starts peppering me with all of these questions that were like, one of the first things he asked me was about our like software service level agreements. Like, you know, oh, do you have 99.9% uptime? And I'm like, it just completely threw the thing awry. So he's asking me about SLAs and pricing and nothing to do with like the actual problem. And honestly, the call sort of ended up bombing and I was a little embarrassed, but I figured maybe it can help me fix what the heck happened there. The first question you said to him is, what do you want to get out of this meeting? The minute you asked that question, you were dead in the water. Dead in the water. Here's why. Was your original dialogue back and forth with him? No. Who was it with? It was with the CEO. So how much do you think he understands about where you're at? He had, a, he had like a decent understanding. What he said to me like in the beginning of the call was, well, I came from a different law firm and I felt like that law firm, like we had it together more than where we are right now. And I sat down with the CEO who recently started at this company. I told him if we implement a stricter time entry policy, we'll make more money. 
And so maybe your product can help with that. You got caught in a script because he told you that they came from another place and it was more buttoned down, right? He told you that he told the CEO that if we could get a better time management or time billing system, we could make more money. With those two things alone, when you were done with your little pleasantries, you should have simply asked, hey, man, tell me what you mean by a more button down. Could you explain to me what you had and where are you today? And is the reason for that, Keenan, because I made an assumption about what he meant on that and I should have asked him to clarify like what that term meant? Yes, absolutely. Because that's the problem. Like that's your current state problem. When he says, we had this, I think we could do this. We could make more money. What he just did is he circled a big red circle around where the problem is, but he just didn't show it to you. So what do you mean it was more buttoned down over here, right? And so he's like, well, we could do this. We could do that. We could do this. And can you do that now? No. Well, what's the difference? Well, now we can't do this. We can't do this. So where do you think, how do you think that's affecting you from a revenue perspective? I think we're probably leaving 15% revenue on the table. Really 50% of what? Well, we do, we build $75 million a year. So you mean you leave about $9 million on the table and that's like, it was done. You could have got that whole thing done in 12 minutes. Well, instead, what ended up happening was towards the end of the call, he's asking me what it costs. And I was trying to then at the end of the back half of the call being like, well, wait a minute, let's talk about like how folks justify the ROI here. Because I said the average firm captures this much more bill a little time and I'm dead in the water there. Right. By the time you got to the end, you couldn't. Right. So let me help you out again. So this is what you should have done. Okay. So you should, first off, everybody, the message here was don't get caught in a script. The mere fact that he told you all of that information. You either assumed it or just moved past it to get to the script. Well, what I really like to do is before I do this and this and this, I'd like to see what you'd like to get out of the call. That's a script, dog. So once you did that script, so first don't do the script. I gave you the way to handle it before. He gave the information. You should have jumped right when he started talking. Okay. Number two, once you did find yourself down that script and he started asking about SLAs, et cetera, you could have stopped and said, Tommy, we do have an SLA. But I find it interesting. That's the very first question you asked. Could you walk me through what's behind that and what you're looking to accomplish with an SLA? Because the reason, like I had it in my brain, I was like, it's really weird that he's asking about that this early. And I should have asked him, why are you asking me this so early? Yes. Yes. What's going on? Have you had these things before and they don't stay up? Like walk me through. And as he's giving you those answers, dude, that's your way to get it back to problem centric. Right. He's going to talk about how they've gone down. I'm going to guess, but I'm going to talk. He's talking about how it's gone down. And because it went down, they lost X amount of billings that they weren't expecting, or they spent so much time trying to get it back up that they lost billing and they couldn't bill. So they lost time to cash because not only did they lose the billing, but it took them a while to figure out who they had to bill, blah, blah, blah. So then that gives you the conversation. Why? Right, so let's talk about this billing piece. How are you guys doing it today? Like, let's forget about this. How are you doing it today? How much do you think you're losing? Like, it was a natural move back to the business problem. Right. So, Keenan, I'm curious because naturally they're going to have questions for us. And some of them will be valid questions. And they probably want to know a little bit about how we can solve their problems. And so are you withholding how you could potentially solve the problems until you go all the way 20 minutes deep into understanding the deep impact of those problems? Or are you doing a little bit of give and take along the way? Maybe a little give and take, maybe. And I'm not withholding because I'm a gap seller and what you do is gap sell. I'm withholding because the genuine answer, the genuine, honest answer is, I don't know if I can help you. I don't know what the problem is. Like people, I have to, look, I have this happen all the time. People come up to me and say, Keenan, 
I need your advice, man. You know, my wife and I were fighting all the time. My husband and I were fighting all the time. I, I really know what needs to do. Can you help me out? Like, I think I need to get divorced. What do you think? And you know what my answer is every time? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you should do. Tell me what's going on. Why are you guys fighting? How long have you been fighting? What have you done to fix it in the past? How did that work out? It ends up being a long conversation. So I can truly understand where you are, what you've done, how you got here, what the root causes are, how it's impacting you, what you actually want to get out of it. It's like a gap cell. And then when I hear it, I'm like, okay, now, now I'll give you my opinion because I feel comfortable that my opinion will be well first and well-based in that what I suggest is a good solution. So the same thing with what you sell as products and services, right? He may sit, be sitting there talking to you about SLA, but guess what? Let's just say you have the best SLA in the world, but his problem as far as capturing his billable hours, maybe something you can't fix, or maybe a problem you're not really well-designed at, or better yet, maybe let's say they get 98% of their billings already, and the 2% only comes out to 30,000 a year. Yeah, we could probably fix that, but not for the cost. So I wouldn't recommend it. But I can't say that unless I understand what's going on. So I'm not withholding. I'm basically trying to say, if you want my advice, if you want me to help you in this sale, I need to understand what's going on because I don't trust you that you know the problem. So the questions you're asking me, you may think are helping you, but you don't understand. So Keenan, I'm curious, what do you do in the situation when you get to the end of your discovery call? or you get halfway through and you're like, shoot, for Nick's solution, you're not losing a million billable hours, right? But there is this like really annoying process problem that people have that I think they might want to solve, even if it's not saving a million dollars of billable hours. How do I sort of evoke the nose early on? Or like, what do I do in a situation like that when I'm stuck with mostly process problems? Well, process problems always manifest themselves into a business problem. They, they don't live apart. And if they don't manifest into a business problem, then you don't have a problem. And so you don't sell. So what you've just described is the size of the gap. If it's saving a million dollars, it's a really big gap. If it's only saving $100,000 or it's, it's billing things faster, so therefore your day sales outstanding goes from 45 days to 30 days, which means you have that's 50% more cash on hand. If it's simply customer service and people feel like they're... Um, being treated better, and your customer service ranking goes from an eight to a nine, which now gets you in the um, NPS. Yeah, yeah, NPS score. Thank you very much. Right, so maybe they get your NPS score higher, right? Or maybe it's simply um, uh, because remember, billing plays a big role in, in partners. So maybe at the end of the day, it's just helping them better understand who the partners are. I mean, with the partner d- decision process and promoting people from associates to partners faster. So my point is, notice where my head is in this entire conversation, and it's just I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm. But know enough of them that notice all these conversations are my me pulling from my understanding how a law firm works. Where could billing negatively or positively impact a law firm? Customer sat, uh, addition of um, new attorneys, day sales outstanding. You see what I'm saying? And that you just have to understand what that nuisance is, my man. Like I'm on the key here is you use the word nuisance. You have to define that. You cannot just accept that as a term. What is a nuisance about and how big is the nuisance? And you'll determine whether or not it's worth paying for your product. So you talked about in that scenario that I, I botched the, the definition of the term, like when the guy said we were more buttoned up at a different firm and you were like, boom, Nick, there's your big red circle of something you've got to dig into. Can you talk about like how you identify what those are? Like, are there common 
trigger points when somebody says something you're like oh that's it i gotta go after that he's literally saying this is where i was this is where i am now this isn't as good like that is such a trigger for me like it's just locked and loaded i, I would never miss that in a heartbeat oh oh boom bam like i'm in so i i don't know how to teach that to someone like you can't sit and be like okay listen for the comparative analysis you just have to learn to train your mind that anybody time someone suggests in any way, shape, or form that where they are today is not optimal, jump, jump. In any way, shape, or form, today is not optimal. Listen, when you look at gap selling, that's the whole point, current state, future state, right? The current state discovery is literally designed to not understand, okay, to understand where they are, yes, but understand where they are and why it's not optimal, why it's not where they want to stay. That's the point of the current state, not just to get a bunch of stupid information. It's to highlight the fact that where you are now, the status quo is not acceptable. And therefore you must change if you want this, the desired outcome. Then he might say, well, look, man, we used to do it over here. Okay, now, okay, got Mm -hmm. it. We used to do it over here. And by the way, watch this. When somebody says, I used to do it over here, it was better. Right. Or I used to date this girl and she was way cool. And the girl I'm dating now isn't that cool. Believe it or not, when they say this person over here or when I had it over here, that's not past state. That's desired future state. Uh. They want to get back to where they were. So that is desired future state. They're just using that as a benchmark to highlight what the desired future state looks like. So it's actually they're giving you the desired future state by telling you how it used to be. And I want to get back there and I'm not there now. So let's say I get all the way to the end and I've got some big business problems that I can solve. And so I know that there's this massive loss of billable hours today. And the last part of the pick is bringing them back to the root causes, right? And one thing you always say is you always say like, hey, don't ask people to self-diagnose. So can you tell me more about what I should be doing instead? So once you find the problem, right, and you know they're losing all these billable hours, Then you ask process questions. This is where process questions come in. I love process questions after the problem questions. So you admit this. It's all right. Tell me a little bit about how the team is is billing hours now. So so, and then I get more. That's why understanding the business is important. Then I'd listen to you for a while. And based on what you said, I might ask more questions or I might say, okay, that makes sense. Tell me about this. How does how does your your how do your lawyers today? If someone calls in and has a 10 minute conversation with them or a five minute conversation in between two other clients who are doing hour, two hours of billing. How do you capture that today, right? And then when they describe it to me and say, okay, because it's such a small thing and it's interrupted, do you believe that your attorneys probably only capture that 50% of the time? You see what I'm doing? I'm asking process questions because process or tool questions, because those give me the root causes. And then when the buyer says, yeah, I'm pretty sure only 50% do it because it's only 10 minutes right now, it takes too long. So I would say, how would they capture that normally? And they would explain it. It's probably cumbersome and difficult what well, they're supposed to go into their app, but they, they know the guy they just had on for an hour is now the other guy's coming an hour and they just, it's not worth it to them to go into the, do this and do that. So they just let it go. And then if your product is simply a button on their phone, what makes that process to capture that 10 minutes is a far less cumbersome. You see what I'm saying? Then you show them why you'll capture that now. Root cause interruptions for 10 minute calls. We bill in 10 minute increments but they just pass it on because it's stuck between two big ones. Wait, you can capture that in one step? Oh my God. You see what I did there, guys? Yeah. Root cause is how you demonstrate your product, but you got to ask process questions 
to dig into how they're doing the things today that are causing the problems and then show how you fix it. I mean, you're going to want to strangle me, but I'm not even doing that. I'm just having people be like, yeah, I know our attorneys aren't getting everything. Like I've never proposed a scenario like the one you did where it's like, all right, they're in a meeting, they take a quick phone call and then they go right to the next meeting. I'm not, I haven't asked that. And you're going to scream at me through the computer here. Listen, I don't sell to lawyers. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I do know is that when I'm selling or helping people sell, all I'm thinking about is the person I'm selling to. I'm literally putting myself into their position. I'm literally trying to problem solve on the fly. So I say to myself on the fly, just trying to help you, right? And what little I know about how attorneys bill. I know they bill on 10 10 minute increments. Some are even trying to get it smaller, right? So there's another potential thing. Are you trying to, the reason they do 10 minutes, I think is eight or five or three are too difficult to bill. Like it's just the time it takes to bill for that stupid, right? So they're doing a 10 minute increments. I know that. Then I think to myself, well, if they're doing it in 10-minute increments, how many 10-minute increments do they get in a day compared to longer increments? And if it's a really small one, I wonder if half the attorneys just say, it's 10 minutes, Keenan just called, I don't have time for this right now, it's not going to kill me, I got to take care of this stuff. That's all I did, was I literally just put myself in the position of the people I'm selling to and ask myself, what types of scenarios could undermine billing? And then I say, okay, are you struggling with these types of problems? When when you talk about, I got to get in the shoes of this person, you might have a partner of a law firm that you're talking to. And those massive business problems mean a ton to that partner. But then you might have like an accounts payable specialist or like an administrative manager who literally has to collect these timesheets. And sometimes I feel like they just care about, I spend all this time and all of my time solving this problem. And so are you educating them on like, hey, if you want to solve this problem for you, you have to solve a bigger problem for the partner? Or how do I go in the situation when they're stuck in more of like a technical problem? I do both. So I start with their problem. So if if you're the person who wants to input it all day, I start with, well, tell me how long it takes you to input this stuff, right? Well, better yet, I'm thinking, okay, here, I just did it again. I just did it again. I put myself in their shoes. And besides taking a long time, my guess is reconciliation is a huge issue. Like they said this, is this accurate? Right. So I then say, how do you reconcile or ensure for accuracy? Does that take you a long time? And they may say, oh, no, I got that nailed. Oh, no, we just trust my customer. Okay, then not a problem. But I'm literally trying to go to you and your role now. And what are the things I think are driving you crazy and making you want to change? And once I figure out how you want to change, then I can go to the upstream effect. So this is affecting you here. Now, because of these things, how much do you think it affects overall billing? How much do you think it affects day sales outstanding? How much do you think it affects uh, accuracy or having to give people money back or give free billing in the future because you overbilled or you underbilled? Like it all comes back to the business problems anyways. Right. And what do you do? Or is there anything that reps can learn from a delivery or from the art standpoint to make it so that, I mean, you hear reps ask these ridiculous, cringy questions where it's like, what would you do with all that time back in your calendar? You know, those horrible ones. So from a delivery standpoint, how do I ask these questions in a way that doesn't make prospects feel like (laughs) I'm put on defensive and you're just trying to get me to like cough up money that I'm about to lose so that you guys can sell me something. Go back and listen to the questions in this podcast that I've asked you. They're not cringy. I'm trying to understand. Right. And so I don't have to then turn around and ask a cringe question. Well, what would you do with all that time, right? With all that money? It really doesn't matter. If I know that you're losing a million dollars a year, I might ask, okay, where is this million dollars affecting the organization now? 
if I wanted to know that, right? Or if you guys got this million dollars back, are there projects or other types of things that you haven't been able to execute because of this? Or would this just go straight back to the partners? So you see what I did there? I didn't basically show it. I understand your business. And partners take, they all share the, the profits, right? Because they're LLPs. So I might just, just all go back to the partners and therefore the return to the partners is going to be higher. Or there's some projects you'd like to allocate this money to. Right? But just don't ask stupid questions. What would you do with this? Oh, I want to punch someone's nose out. It's just obnoxious. In your questions, you're doing a good job of, of not assuming that you know the problem. You don't know the problem. Because you don't know the problem, but at the same time, you're, you're somehow still weaving in, I get your business, right? Because I know this could go a couple of different ways, right? Is it going to the partners or is it going towards some other sort of project, right? And so when I'm asking questions, like, what's the right way to like weave in, like, you know, like, I know a thing or two about your business, so I can demonstrate a little bit of credibility here. Don't. See, this is what salespeople try to do. They try to, they try to put on a, a show. They try to act. Don't. Don't try to show. Just listen and ask questions. And legit, if it's a legitimate question, like, here's a million dollars, you really want to know. You're like, okay, if you're able to get this million dollars back, is this money that's going to the partners or are there, there are other capital projects you're looking to spend this on? That's a legitimate question. That's not a question that says, I'm trying to show you I know your business. The minute you get into, I'm trying to show your business, it's again, it's about you. It's inauthentic. You're, again, making it about you. I, I don't know how else to explain to salespeople to stop making it about you and trying to show credibility and trying to get the product sold and get them to close. Just cut it out. Pretend you're a doctor whose only objective is to provide the best help to save their life and maximize their quality of life. And then that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. If you are committed to that, everything else happens by default. You look like you have credibility because you do, because you're genuinely asking a legitimate question for their benefit, not yours. All right, Keenan. So I, I know you love product demos. It's your favorite thing. And so, uh, but naturally, I guess you, have probably, you probably have a perspective on it. And so I've got the problems. I've got the business impact. I've got the root cause. Eventually, I actually have to show them how to solve this problem. How do I show them how to solve this problem without losing sight of the business impact and just getting only stuck in process problems while I'm demoing? Okay. So you know the answer, but I'm going to clear it for you. So I look, people think I don't like showing the product. I love showing the product. I just don't like showing it too soon. right? I love showing it when I know it can be customized and I know exactly what's important to them. right? So once I do that, it all goes through the root cause. So I use an example we had on the table already. You told me that you're, you believe you're losing 50% of the 10 to 15 minute billable hours that happen when a customer calls out of nowhere. It's supposed to be a one minute call and then you get stuck on it for 10 or 15 minutes or a quick email. Someone sits down to write a quick email and it takes five or 10 minutes and you feel you're losing 50% of those and it's costing you two or $3 million a year in billings across your 150 attorneys. That's what you believe okay, right now. There's your business problem. The impact obviously is all that money, right? The root cause is because your current system requires eight or nine steps. I'm just making this up. It requires X amount of steps that make the attorneys feel it's not worth their time to go do those steps to capture that 10 minutes because in their head, in that moment, it's just 10 minutes. I don't need the $50.
not thinking or not aware that they do it a thousand times or a hundred times in a year. Okay. Times all those employees, uh, those, all those, yeah, uh, lawyers. In the demo, what you do is you say, hey, one of the things I'd like to show you, or the next thing I want to show you, or the first thing I want to show you, is you said that you believe you're losing a million dollars because of that 10 minute tossed incremental billing time because it takes too long to capture that 10 minutes. I want to show you how we can get that 10 minutes captured in one click of a button from their cell phone as the client's calling in. You see what I did right there? Now they already know, I already told them. So if we can, if you can do this, you'll get those 10 minutes back. They've already played it all the way out. They already know. Oh, okay, I get 10 minutes back. This is this because you set them up. That's how you do a demo. You literally start with the, the root cause to the problems that you found, and they'll already know that I'm solving the root problem. You, I don't need to do the rest. Did that make sense, Armand? 100%. I got a lot of good free consulting from you today. Thank you. We're running out of time, though. We got to move to the final question. Final question is this, and you actually covered a lot of this today, but we've talked about a lot of things people, salespeople should be doing, and I want to flip that on its head. The last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a ton of salespeople exhibiting that they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? Not listening and being in a script. I think it's a good way based on what we did with you. Not listening and being in a script. They're just running around, waiting for the next question, try, saying, I do a discovery, so let me get to my next question. And they're really not active listening. And then they're just going to the next question or the next step. And they're in a script or a process. And, it, and they're completely not connected to the buyer. Beautiful. Anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Plug? I'm not good at plugging. Promote yourself, man. Yeah, yeah. It, look, if, you're, if you want to get better at selling, you want to be a gap seller, and your company is too cheap to invest in you, go to Gap Selling Online Training and sign up. It's me. It's six hours of online training. Go at your own pace. It's interactive. So you can literally like, I'll ask you a question and up pops up. And if you answer it one way, you get a different answer. You answer another way, you get another one. So it's super interactive. I yell at you. I take you in different directions. You have the same exercise you have to do. We score the exercises. So if you're actually committed to getting better beyond just reading the book. Beautiful. Folks, definitely go check that out. I know Keenan has helped both me and Armand a lot get better as salespeople. So thanks for listening and stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers 
for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with PipeDrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Keenan include number one, don't talk about the root causes and the technicalities of your problem until you get to the impact on the business first, and then talk about why this thing is happening in the first place. Number two, stop overcomplicating the problems you solve into the process and the spreadsheets and all this other stuff. Deduce what the heck your problem solves in one sentence. And then number three, stop asking questions about the past state so much. Stop getting people to wallow in what's behind them. Instead, be keenly aware of any statement that is indicative of their desired future state. And then lastly, number four, if someone's asking you about weird stuff up front, like, hey, do you have a 99.99995 SLA up front? You should probably ask them, hey, is there a reason you're asking me this stuff up front? Because there's probably a reason. All righty, Nick, how could people help us out? Well, Armand, we're we're talking about SLAs, and did you know that we have a 100% SLA? We've never missed an episode. We've been publishing for a year and a half, and you and I have never once missed publishing an episode, and we don't intend to start anytime soon. But the thing is, we've put out so many episodes, our audience is having trouble keeping up. So my recommendation to you, my esteemed listener, is go back scroll a little bit. Yes, it might tire your thumb out a bit, but if you scroll back and back and back, you could even find Keenan's first appearance on the show. You could find our good friend Kyle Coleman talking about email best practices. You could listen to Richard Harris talking about the question behind the question. We have a whole host of amazing episodes, and we highly recommend you listen to them. Until next week, we'll see you on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three your solution and call to action exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.